Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 100. We are at the centennial minute, wow, of season five of Movie Around Minute, the early podcast, where we yippee ki our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is my good friend, Alan Sanders, formerly of the Wilder Ride, and uh, hopefully, you know, at some point he'll get that back going, but he's also got the uh, Alan Sanders show going. At the same time, so you know we, we got we got some good stuff coming from Alan. So welcome back to the show, Alan, for the 100th episode of this season. It, it feels like I've reached a milestone with you, so I'm very pleased to be with you as we wrap up this week. Yeah, yeah, seriously. And what a week it's been. You know, we had the you know throat slashed, uh, people getting uh, shot at at point blank range. You know, th- fun things that that you can only get in a Die Hard movie. So, oh, this or is a diehard type movie, right? This is the week we both get our you know, the the audience got the rug pulled out from under us not once but twice with uh, gotchas. That's right, gotchas are great. Did you ever see that movie Gotcha with Anthony Edwards? Yes, I yes. I loved we that as a kid. Angled with a spy or something, and he it started off as like the assassin game you play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's a, I actually in high school played that with some friends. We did that for about five or six months in and around when that movie came out and uh it was a lot of fun i never made it to i, I always got whacked usually in rounds one or two. Oh wow so I it came it, terribly it was a, unobservant yeah it came it came out in 85 and i remember seeing that on cable so many times you know it's and uh you know it's it a fun movie I, i've rewatched it since it's not as good but it's still fun because you know you still have the memories from from you know when you saw it as a kid and enjoyed it that type of thing yeah, yeah. Some sometimes the nostalgia of a movie lets you see past the blemishes, but then sometimes you go back and wish that you'd never ruined the memory you had of, in your head of of the movie. Sometimes you go back and go, "Oh, it, it was so much better in my head." Yes, I've, I've I've been there. I think I think most people have been there. So it it makes sense. You know, it's one of those things. That, there are tons of movies that I loved as a kid. Then when I rewatched them as an adult, I can't believe that I enjoyed them. And then I have others that. I continue to enjoy them partially because of the fact that I saw them when I was a kid. So, yeah, you know, you, exactly. you get, you get it both, both ways there. So, and, and gotcha is definitely on that list. I die hard Two is sort of on that list. I guess you could say for me because I enjoyed it so much when I first saw it. So, you know, who knows? So minute 100 begins with the S of, whoa, be- <laughs> Oops. Really? <laughs> yes. Really. Oh, you may have seen a different movie than I saw. Apparently. <laughs> so minute 100 begins with the mass exodus continuing and ends with a Merry Christmas from Vito. <laughs> Yesterday we ended things with, you know, uh, Thornburg giving his whole diatribe on uh, TV and starting to cause a uh, ruckus. In the airport with all the, the, the who we're not really sure whether these are passengers or whether these are people waiting for other people the planes to get in or just people who like loitering around in the airport you know at uh you know 10 11 o'clock at night who knows could be anything right. and you know they, they they start basically i don't know if you want to call it a riot but but people are just trying to get out of there as quickly as possible because now they've all yeah, realized I was, I was- I'd call it more of a stampede, that that panic exit stampede style of um, of chaos. Okay, that makes sense too. You know, I would, I would call that uh, 
so stampede of chaos. Okay, yeah, I guess I guess I can I can go with that one. Because they're not damaging intentionally. They're all trying to escape. It's just in mass panic, things actually, you know, get knocked over and then people start to fall. And then that's where people end up getting crushed because you're not paying attention. And the whole herd, like a stampede, is just moving because it's got it's not thinking. It's just moving in one direction. Right. And uh, that's true. It's, it's basically, as we talked about yesterday, it's every man for himself. You know, it doesn't matter if you're trying to help someone else. You're, you're not going to be right. able to do so. Right. And basically, that, that's the way things continue here. You know, at this, the beginning of this minute, we, we see, you know, the, the, the different uh, the checkout, uh, check encounters, and we see people just running out of the, the lobby to try to get as quickly as possible outside of the airport because this is an airport that's been taken over by terrorists, even though none of them knew that beforehand. <laughs> you know, they weren't affected by it at all. Right. And so, but hey, if the guy on TV says there's a problem, we got to get out of here. And we, so we get a, a nice little moment with the camera as it as it's kind of, and, and it's obviously a, a low but still crane shot because it's kind of pulling up and to the right. It does end with just to the right of frame. It lets you know they must be running for the exits because the gates are actually the to the left. It shows you a little the sign that says, hey, if you want to go to your gate to pick up your plane, it's this way. And they're all running, obviously, away from camera. That is so cool that you and I are in tune because I was just about to talk about that. <laughs> no, which is great. That's great because we also then get to see a number of flights that are on the board. You know, we, we don't get to see the full data on all, all these flights. But what's interesting is, is these are not flights that we saw beforehand. You know, they give us different ones. We have, you know, Seattle, Mexico, Tel, I'm assuming it means Tel Aviv, uh, Tokyo, London, Helsinki, um, a whole bunch of different flights that, that are listed here. Of course, the one to Tel Aviv is 666. You know, yeah, I, 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 don't know I don't know what the connection is there, but it's also the same airline as the one that goes to Seattle which is a little strange also, but okay. You know, there's, there's no way of us knowing what, what airlines these are. It, it's very possible that in most, it, like in most movies, the, per, the person who set this up, they probably use like initials of people they know. You know, you have like GM, FF. Yeah, WS. Yeah. So it's, it's just, you know, people I know. <laughs> I, I I wonder if I were to go and look at the production manager to see if those are their their names. That that could also be. You know, a lot of times they, I know in in the original Die Hard they actually did that. You know, we had the you know the the the, the crew and stuff like that listed. The 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 construction crew were listed. There was like a sign about the, the construction sign, and therefore you know they were using the names of the people there. Mm -hmm. So it would be very interesting to see if they actually did that here. What is that? That's like the, the set, de set decorators and stuff like that, you think? Uh, the, no, set, set designers, set right, decorators. Okay. It could be production design. Actually, it, it starts with production designers and then down to the actual set decoration. But, yeah, could be anybody within that group. Yeah, okay. Well, none of those people are, are listed here because the production designer is John Valone. decorating the set. Right. Production designer is John Valone. Uh, the art director is Christian Wagner. Uh, set director is Robert Gould. Uh, Marilyn Vance is the costume designer. So it, maybe it's people on the team itself. You know, when you when you, if we go deeper into the into the different departments, maybe to try and find out uh, 
the, the different people here. But right. we're, we're not going to spend that time on that. <laughs> really? What, what, what are we going to spend time on then, Rob? Don't worry. We, we always have things to talk about. <laughs> oh, has, there, has there ever been a point, Alan, you, where you and I do not have what to talk about? No, in fact, I think I've said this before. I've even stopped trying to figure out what I should probably pre-research because I have no idea what triggers you to go look up some interesting factoid. Well, just wait. We're, we have some. We have some fun ones for this this minute too. Don't worry. All right. You know, I, I will not disappoint. How's that? <laughs> and as we see the, the 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 people running out, then we see a a a shot of three small TV sets. You know, which uh, one of them says TV, the other one says Surveillance 1, and the other one Surveillance 2. And we can actually see on the first one, you have Thornburg's picture uh, superimposed over the uh, stolen uh, uh, stolen weather map. <laughs> and then the other two are just uh, pictures of people that are you know, running out of the, the airport. And then we, we hear uh, Trudeau's voice, and he goes, that stupid, arrogant son of a bitch. It's all over the airport. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm glad he's got a reputation among everybody, including the, the upper echelon of airport management. It means nobody, it, likes him. nobody likes him, but the truth is the, the fact that everybody knows who he is already says something about him. Also, he's, you know, he might have a bad reputation, but, you know, what, what's the phrase? Uh, even bad publicity is good, is, is, is good publicity? Or yeah, any there's pu- no as, yeah, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Exactly. So, like, okay, everyone knows that that Thornburg is an ass. That's fine. You know, people don't like him, but they're still watching him. They still know. They still know of him. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He still has this Geraldo type of show that that people are, are are tuning into because if if people weren't tuning in, they would have canceled him a long time ago. You know, I guess that goes with reality TV. I mean, obviously, reality TV has changed a lot in the 33 years since since this movie came out. But you know, we we can see what direction it's going. Mm-hmm. You know, people people love, uh, I guess, l- watching other people's uh, problems. Well, it's the old uh, Don Henley song, "Dirty Laundry." That's right. That's very true. And then we 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 get the the great shot of his face. You know, we see Thornburg's face superimposed, you know, uh, on the the screen as we continue to hear him talking, and he goes, 300 people have died." Now th- that's really strange that he would have that that uh, amount of information you know they they never told us how many people were on the the windsor air flight but my assumption is it did not look like it was a plane that would have 300 people on it yeah i don't know i'm trying to remember back through the script but even if it was full you assume the holidays it's going to be full no but that's I a plane it was a plane that only had two sides you know there was no middle row so you have three right. on each side so that's six people Six people in a row. I mean, I don't think that, that you know, we had I, – I don't think that the plane has 50 rows. Maybe. I, I don't know. What kind of plane was it? Uh, that I don't remember. You got me on that one. <laughs> I'll have to go back and, and look that up. But uh, I, I do, my assumption is there were not 300 people on that plane, even if it was full. It looked like a smaller plane. Okay. Let's say a smaller – Maybe like a 737. Could be. Um, six, six seats per row, which is what you just described. Okay. Um, and I think that would give you like 32 rows. So six times 32. Six times 32 only comes out to like 180. 189. Okay. 
So maybe with crew and maybe uh, if you include first class, maybe over 200, but certainly feels Not like, it does feel like 300 is a little, a little, a little exaggerated. Maybe the hyperbole from a known hyperbolist. Yes. Here, the, the, from what I can see here, uh, the maximum number of people you can fit on a 737 is 215 passengers. So again, it still doesn't reach the 300. You know, but no. but again, if he if he's trying to instill panic here, or I mean, he's inadvertently <laughs> trying to instill panic. But I mean, his point is to to uh, let everyone know about the fear that's going on. So, you know, you can exaggerate a little bit, I guess. Even especially if you're Dick Thornburg, you're going to be exaggerating about everything. Hmm. So who knows? <laughs> and then uh, did did you notice that that above the little screen? that th that uh, Trudeau is looking at. There's like a, a diagram of all of the, the different dials, which is very strange. Did you see no. what I'm talking about? Okay, so it's at the three second mark or two second mark. Oh, you're going oh, all the way back. I'm, I'm going back a little bit. I'm going back a little bit. It shows like the different f frequencies. Oh. It has, we can see Dulles departure control number and uh, what are the ones can you actually read? Most of them you can't read them. Right. I see the schematic, yeah, just above the, the monitors. Yeah, it's a very strange schematic showing, you know, like the different frequencies that you can use to tune into things, you know. I wonder how I they wonder... knew how to get onto the TV the, the TV station. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if that's the the frequency for each of the cameras. No, that can't be that. Mm, I don't think so. It's so hard to... Because the camera pans, when it pans, you get you get motion blur. Yeah, and, and you can't really see or read anything except for just that one moment when it's a still. Because as soon as it starts to move, it's it's too blurred to see. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> um, and then we're we're back to the plane itself. Uh, right after hearing Thornburg uh, talk, and you know the the these the way that his face is superimposed on the screen, and like pans to the to the left and we get to see people arguing with the stewardess uh we basically get to see the old woman who was sitting next to holly and she's complaining and she goes when are we gonna land and the stewardess says i have no information and then we we continue to hear the the voice of Thorn thornberg on tv and he goes and unfortunately they may not be the last the horrifying fact is that no one is safe either in the plains above dulles or in the terminal below the threat of a new and high, higher body count at the airport hangs over the heads of everyone. And the holiday season of peace and love has become a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, he's, <laughs> he's so, he's such a hyperbole and he's, he's like stoking fear with his exaggerated use of, of language. I mean, that's, that's right. just him. That's right. I mean, I gotta say it is, it is a, a great speech. I mean, if you take, if you don't think about what exactly you know, oh, he's yeah. doing by saying it. But but I mean, this, this guy does have a way with words. He he is causing uh, too much panic with it. But, you know, what he's saying sort of makes sense. I mean, mm -hmm. we know we know that we know his, he's exaggerating, but everyone listening to him do not. They don't know that. Right. Well, because plus he also he, he tries to use almost literary kind of expressions you know uh, remember mm -hmm. in the first one where he started talking about and now our city has joined that sad fraternity of those who have been terrorized you know like that's who right uses okay. like, who talks that's about right. that like sad fraternity 
That's right. Only, only people like Thornburg. <laughs> exactly. Right. And as the, the, the camera pans, we eventually see Holly, who's sitting you know, in her seat, and she's looking up, and she sees Thornburg on the TV, or at least she sees his picture on the TV, and then she picks up the, the headphones uh, next to her, which I assume are the headphones of the woman uh, who's sitting next to her, and starts to continue to listen to what he's saying. And then there she, she hears you know, this, this diatribe, and you see her face and her eyes darting back and forth you know, trying to figure out, you know, what it is that he's doing. And at the end, she like, we see like a, uh, a jump from her, you know, that she's mm-hmm. scared, realizing what it is that, that, that he now is doing. You know, so Bonnie yeah. Bedelia does a great job here of, of just, just by giving us the look on her face. You know, we yeah. know her, that, that her, her emoting uh, with facial expression really goes along because, you know, Likely, there's nobody even acting off of her. They were just saying, "Okay, and you're hearing him and react." Like she sells it all with with obviously nothing really being said from Thornburg on set. Correct. She's just having to emote everything. That's right, for sure. And then we we see her eyes look down, and we see the the purse of the old lady sitting next to her. And then we see her stick her hand into the purse and mm-hmm. take out a you know. A wallet with a wad of bills. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> and she takes out a zapper or a taser or the, there's so many different names for this contraption that we, we talked about months ago with what she what, what she had here. But it got me thinking about the fact that, you know, she's basically stealing this, uh, you know. Like, so I, I started thinking, like, what is it called for someone to be able to steal like this? Do you have any idea? You know, like professionals that are stealing, that that are robbing people. Is there? Do you know the name for this type of uh, thing of what people do? Oh, like uh, in this case, you're well, technically because the woman's not there, but pickpocketing. Uh, I mean, then that's what I'm thinking of right here. When you're going to someone's purse and you're trying to pick their pocket or pick their, you know, pick their purse. Right. Okay. I mean that 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 is true. That's not where I was thinking. I was thinking more that it, it's it's known as a snatch theft oh okay yeah sudden where, snatching that's right where you know you you see you see this a lot in uh in in movies dealing with uh like vietnam or or you know places in the far east or maybe down in in south america and stuff like that where you have like two people riding on a motorcycle or a moped and then uh you know the second guy will go and and grab uh, a purse or something like that. I, I, I'm assuming you've seen the movie Full Metal Jacket. Yes. Where that happens, where you know the guy drives by on a moped and and grabs a uh, a camera from Rafter. Mm-hmm. You know that type of thing. So it's it's basically the idea of forcefully stealing someone's personal property by employing rob and run tactics. Okay, which obviously I know that this isn't what Holly's doing, but it, you know she she is. Yeah, you know, she's she's doing something for the right because we know what she's about to do, but to to go into someone else's bag, uh, you know, if if she were to get caught here, she she in this situation she might be able to get herself out of out of it, as to the the fact that she's not doing anything wrong, but it, it is somewhat you, you can classify it as stealing. Hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I would imagine. If the old woman were to be like, what are you doing? It's like, we've got a problem in the bathroom. Hold on. And the woman's like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> That's right. I mean, they were friends sitting down talking, and the old woman voluntarily told her about it, you know, months ago. Yes. <laughs> That's true. And, I mean, I, I got lists of all these different countries where where snatch theft is is a very big crime, where it happens uh, quite often. So the, the country that, according to this, this uh, article that I found, that has the most of these uh, snatch thefts is uh, the Philippines. How many cases of snatch theft do you think uh, occur in the Philippines on average in, uh, in a given year? Oh, in a year, not uh, ten thousand. No, only three thousand. But but still, that's oh, that's, yeah. that's one, still a hell of a lot. <laughs> that's a hell of a lot. Three thousand a year. Yes. So that's on average ten, about you know, eight to ten a day, I would say. Something like that. That happens. Of course, a Philippines lot. is not a very a big place, but it's populated, so. Correct. And one of the things that they actually tried passing a law there that that uh, didn't didn't pass in the end that motorcycles can only be ridden by one person in order to try and stop these. <laughs> really? Yes. Wow. So you can't give somebody a ride on your on your motorcycle. No, no, no. They, it, the the bill didn't pass in the end, but they someone oh, tried. Okay. No, 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 no. Someone tried making a bill about that. It'd be like, uh, I'd take you for a ride, but I'm not allowed to because they might think that I'm going to steal someone's, uh, you know, purse along the way. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so yes, so Holly steals only the, uh, you know, the, the the zapper, and you know she's holding it in her hand, and then the shot changes. And once again, this week they decide to shock us with something, and they have someone fly through, a, you know, burst through a uh, uh, a glass window because you know it's not a diehard movie without. Broken glass. And you gotta have broken glass. <laughs> and you gotta have as much as you can. <laughs> and they, they, they do that here also. And you can actually even see that that there are there are airline crew members in the in the crowd also. You see someone that's dressed like a captain that's that's in the the rush. And then we see another glass door break down and people fall on the ground and people just run over them. You know, no one really cares. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, hey, why not? We'll just stampede over them. That's the whole the problem with any kind of a crowd that stampedes and gets up against gates or barriers because the people behind them don't know there's people on the ground and they get trampled to death. They literally right. people will die just because fellow human beings are stomping on them trying to get out in a panic. Yeah, what I do unfortunately happens too is, often. What I enjoy seeing is the stunt people. Um, are purposely dressed up with uh, gear all over, like they've got stuff to cover. I mean, obviously it's winter anyway, you would be wearing, but they've got stuff to cover their hands and their face as they go down. So any of the breakaway glass, they're, they're kind of protected. And, and if you notice, they pretty much go heads down and cover their faces. So that way any broken glass that's coming down uh, doesn't get in their face. Right. Well, come on. They're, these are, these are professionals. <laughs> of course they are. Um, I, and the, and the slow-mo the choice of going slow-mo on this is great because then you can see the glass just shattering. It's it's obviously not safety glass like you would expect you would have <laughs> in any kind of a public building. Correct. Correct. And then the, the shop takes us outside and we see Lorenzo running towards a, a, a police car, but there are just masses all around him and we can actually even see John there. And then we hear... 
uh, Lorenzo start talking and he goes, all right, listen up. All units, I want your conversion, hangar 11, all sides. And then he turns to McLean and goes, this car, McLean, get in. Mm-hmm. Now, how is everyone even supposed to hear him with everyone screaming like this? Well, we can hear him just fine. So We can because he's got a mic on him, but uh, all the other cops are going to have a little bit more of a problem doing that. You know, this is something that um, – and it's, it's a good point. You learn in the military and in, similarly in, in any kind of a law enforcement to learn how to project your voice. Um, I'm not suggesting that the actor is doing a good job of showing the projection, but you can – bellow your voice without hurting your vocal cords if you learn how and it's entirely possible when you're used to giving command that when you're belting it and you're intentionally using your diaphragm to shove those that volume through your voice when there's a lot of noise and you're trying to like yell over the 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 cacophony of the battle uh, you develop a technique where you can use your diaphragm to really put a lot of energy behind your voice so you can be heard so you're not screaming from your from your throat which could hurt your throat but you're literally bringing it from down deep and it can go a lot further because it's got more power behind it. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I guess Lorenzo is that type of guy, even, even if, uh, you know, Sipwitz himself can't do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The, the guy in charge, you were supposed to think everyone can hear him, even though his vocal range here is way up in his throat. He would, he's not, he's not bellowing it from below to, to be able to be heard over that sound he's just yelling but it works for the movie uh but i think in terms if it were a real life situation that could be a problem if you had somebody who didn't know how to project their voice over that that crowd noise correct now i i do love the the timing of the the, the way they do this in the script here that you know it's happening at the exact moment that all the cops are going towards their cars you know, that, that obviously there's movie timing, but it still works. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he motions to, to, to John which car to get into uh, as they're, like, trying to wade through this crowd. And then John gets into the car. And we're going to have a little surprise for John coming up. <laughs> and as and they, they do it really nicely because they show John get in on the left-hand side. And then they show us uh, Lorenzo getting in on the right-hand side. And Lorenzo screams, when the City Blue show up with their backup, they'll pack, they'll pick up the pieces. Now move out. And like he, he motions his hand like we normally see like in a, uh, you know, when someone's doing a kettle drive. You know, move out. Mm-hmm. That type of thing. Roll out. Autobots, roll out. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, they get into the car. And, and uh, again, they do, a, this is a great shot because we see Lorenzo's face. And Lorenzo turns to, to John and goes, McLean, say hi to my brother Vito. <laughs> and we don't see his face right there. Then we see John. And then John looks looks over to his right to see who it is. And then we get uh, Robert Costanza's face right in front of him. <laughs> and he goes. It is so big on the screen. <laughs> that's right. And he goes, Merry Christmas. <laughs> and then ends with that kind of a smirky, a smirky smile. Grin. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it's nice to see that, that, that Vito actually recognizes John. It means, means that there's nothing really interesting that's been going on during his shift. You know, no planes have, have uh, blown up. And, uh, you know, there were no punks that, that were getting capped in the luggage area. You know, nothing, nothing interesting has happened. He's gone through a very boring shift. So, therefore, he's obviously going to remember the face of a guy whose car got towed at the beginning of the, you know, just a few hours ago. 
Right. Yeah. You know, makes perfect sense. <laughs> I tell you, um, the 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 responding reaction to to, to seeing this guy's face is so funny from McLean. He's just like, uh-huh, okay. And he, no, and he goes hi. <laughs> that's his that's his response. He gives him a little bit of a hi. Uh, but this, he's kind of got that slack jawed like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> it's great. Yes, it really is. They 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 do it really well. Bruce because, Willis, you know, I, I know he got pigeonholed early on as either just a like a cheap TV comedian and then, you know, Die Hard really put him on the map as an action character. But he's a very good actor and yeah. he can do a lot with just a little bit. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. I, th- I think he can. And he does, you know, but but uh, but part of the problem was is that the, the roles that he uh, chose to take uh, later in his career we're mostly just uh, working on this persona of him being able to do diehard type roles. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think he could have been a much more dramatic actor had he gotten, had he, had he taken those t- kind of roles. You know, I mean, we, we talked about it, you know, the, the first week that you were on about some of your favorite movies of his and, and a lot of people have talked about, you know, over, ever since, you know, telling, telling us their favorite uh, Bruce Willis roles and, if you look at it, you know, during the nineties, he had some, some very dramatic roles that he took on that it's shocking that he didn't try and move forward with those and somehow just moved back into the action realm. I mean, come on, you had films like the sixth sense and Pulp Fiction. What, what else can you, can you unbreakable, uh, unbreakable sixth sense, um, 12 monkeys fits in there also, you know, there's a whole bunch of movies that he did that, that were more, there, there were less John McClane type roles, and you know it's it's unfortunate that he didn't he wasn't able to to move forward with that and and do some some better dramatic uh, type roles. Not that I'm saying you know, I don't like him in his in his in his uh, you know John McClane persona. I think some mm-hmm. of his best movies are are in that persona. But it what it, I th- it what I shows his potential is you get a a quote, an A-list actor in terms of a box office draw. And then you're kind of pigeonholed by the industry that if you don't make, you know, a bajillion dollars with every movie, then you must have failed somehow because right. you're you're used to being associated with these big blockbusters. And those smaller, more dramatic, you know, more meaty roles sometimes don't net that kind of take at the box office. And unfortunately actors that get kind of pigeonholed as action stars the movie might do well well it might even make money as a small film but oh bruce willis's latest movie only made a hundred million dollars you know you're like what you know (laughs) they they spent 20 making it of course it's a good movie but well but it wasn't the 300 million dollar blockbuster that we're used to seeing or the 500 million or whatever it is now so um i think that happens sometimes i think he just got put in that kind of that bucket that if you're not making you know, tentpole kind of movies, then you're not doing anything worthwhile. Right. Okay, I can, I can hear that. Yeah, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can understand it. Oh, you know? I don't agree with it either. I just think that that happens to some actors. I think that's what happens to like the Sylvester Stallones, the Arnold Schwarzeneggers. They were so used to being just big, boisterous, big box office that whenever they would try to do something that's not typical, it could be fantastic, and they just get re- it gets rejected. I mean, I right. think one of the one of the funnier movies and one of the just better movies Sylvester Stallone did was a movie called Oscar, 
which is almost like a play on tele on on, on the big screen, mm-hmm. and it it didn't do well at all in the theater because they're like, oh, we don't have guns and car chases and damsels in distress. Like, well, that's not that kind of movie, right? Right. I, I think also one of the problems that these these action stars were used to getting very high uh, salaries, and the dramatic movies, you know, just don't have the budget for that. You need to have an action film that will have a budget that they can pay, you know, Bruce Willis $20 million or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a problem also. I mean, they, they need to be willing to forego that, that large salary in order to do something uh, a little more prolific, you know, which sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, but you know, they got to feed their kids. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> how, can, how can people survive not getting $20 million for four months of work? I don't know. Yeah. If I ever find out, I will. I will let you know. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty much everything I have for this minute. Did you have anything else for this minute? No. Um, it's one of those. You know, the last couple of minutes have been so much just crowd and looking at just this chaos, um, which is kind of nice because this movie does bounce back and forth from quiet to menace to chaos and loud and then back, and and it and it weaves that pretty darn well throughout the whole film. So you never feel like you're always in noise or you're always in tension it just and there's those moments of comic relief um it, it as a sequel to die hard it is a pretty darn good companion piece i know a lot of people said oh it wasn't as good as the original it's so hard to be better than the first thing that took everyone you know by storm but it's still a worthwhile film i do think the third one is a little better than the second so um i get you know that kind of like the the the, the ebbs and flows that people like in one movie versus another but as a die-hard movie, this is really good. Yes. Yeah, because also this is, the, you know, he's doing things on his own here still. The the in the next one, which which again I I also love, you know, then he has Samuel L. Jackson with him the whole time. So it's 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 a team, it's a team effort. Which I like because had they tried to do a solo one again, I don't know that it may have actually been worse. I like the idea of you got to do something a little different with John McClane. Let's do the kind of buddy cop situation but in in this case it's not another cop and they're actually set almost as foils to each other initially and then they have to learn to work together which is fun to watch that dynamic over the course of the film oh yeah for sure i i completely agree with you on that but that's you see that's the whole thing that you know you you have the idea of a diehard type of movie uh and then you know you have the main character and like you said you need to change it a little bit each time because if it's just a carbon copy of the previous movie then no one's going to care you know, which is which is I think where they went wrong on the fifth one because they wanted to really do things differently, and then they took everything out of the you know diehard type of storyline because it was just too much. Right. For me, it's it, it stops at the trilogy. I mean, I've seen Die Hard four, and I think I've seen once the fifth Die Hard. I'm trying to remember because it did not make an imp- impact at all. For me, I, there's no reason to go watch four or five. I just like watching one, two, and three, and I. Well, I'll set it aside. Like my wife and I do this with some of our favorite uh, series or trilogies. We'll have weekends that we just say, okay, it's time for a return to this binge. And we'll go watch, you know, we'll do all the Harry Potter. We'll do the Back to the Future. We'll do the Raiders, excuse me, we'll do Raiders of the Lost Ark, but only one, two, and three. You know, we'll do Die Hard, one, two, and three. You know, that's just, that's, to me, that's the trilogy. 
Correct. Okay, but I know that in a few seasons from now, I will eventually get you to rewatch four and maybe even five. We'll see. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I will put myself through whatever's necessary to be able to be part of your program. So don't oh, worry okay. about that. <laughs> <laughs> I may not, uh, I may not revere it like I'm doing one, two, and three, but I'll still be more than happy to be here. Oh, I won't. I won't either. But you know, the, the, <laughs> but either. that's that's part of my problem with five. You know that the. You know, I know that I know that four four is tolerable. It's got a lot of fun things in it. You know, it'll it'll be a fun movie to do minute by minute when I get to it in three seasons, from, uh, four seasons from now. But I I, I don't know what I'm going to do with five. I I, <laughs> I think as as I've stated numerous times, as of now, my idea for five is maybe just like a one episode thing with with one <laughs> or two guests, just making maybe doing like a commentary as the movie goes along or something. I don't know. We'll have to. I, I have a number of seasons till I get there, so I'm I'm fine right now. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you need to shake up your own show format so that you can keep growing your audience, right? Yeah, of course, of course, <laughs> definitely. All right. So the the script, the it's it's actually interesting the the way that the script describes everything that's going on here. So it starts off the front of the terminal, a mass exodus, people fight for cabs. Uh, then. It, we move into the into the control tower. They're watching this here too. Christ, that fucking asshole. That's what Trudeau says in the in in the script. You know, <laughs> I like that. As yeah. opposed to that stupid arrogant son of a bitch. I I think stupid arrogant son of a bitch works a little better coming from mm -hmm. Trudeau. But it's just very funny that that's the way they do it in the in the script. And then it then it shows the the rear of the terminal airport police parking lot. McLean is in Lorenzo's police car. A dozen other police cars full of officers behind, lights spinning. Lorenzo leans out the window like Ward Bond on wagon train. Converge on Hangar 11 on all four sides. When the city blues get here with the backup, they can pick up the pieces. Move out. McLean, you meet my nephew? The other guy in the car is the <laughs> who towed the car. As McLean reacts, the caravan roars forward, sirens wailing. So, you know, they, I, I like the fact that in the movie, the... The police cars are in a uh, position where they can't really move because, you know, they have too many people running around them. In the script, it sounds as if there's nobody around them. So yeah, no, I like yeah. I like the I like the chaos of everything. I mean, even yeah. in the script, the, the 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 chaos was kind of more in the bar. Remember, there was just kind of like yes. the lounge mm -hmm. based on the script. It it it's much more impactful when it's the whole airport, even though it makes no sense that everyone at the airport's listening to the exact same thing at the same time, visually. And then orally, when you start hearing all that noise and the people screaming and yelling, it, it makes a much more chaotic impact in what's happening in the film. So I think yeah. the direction that Rennie Harlan took it, I think, to make it bigger than the script was a good choice. Yeah, for sure. And then the, the script continues and it goes into stuff that we're going to talk about next week. But then it jumps back to things that we see in this minute. So it says interior of Holly's airplane widened from the TV screen. Thornburg's broadcast is here, too. A woman screams. A man tries to get out of a seat, and a stewardess forces him back. Holly uh, realizes what's going and says, my God. Then something else sinks in. She looks at the empty airphone cradle on the wall, gets quickly out of her seat. In mid-stride, she stops, takes her seatmate's purse. Then she sidesteps some panicked people, goes to the kitchen area, and finds one of the special keys for the laboratories. So it's a little different. <laughs> you know, the, in the script, they don't reveal the fact that she's taking taking out the taser to, to eventually take on Thornburg. And, you know, the fact that they, they say that she found the special key to the, to the bathroom, 
is very interesting also. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's what we got from, from the script. So, Alan, once again, I want to thank you for, for, for stepping up this week and, uh, and rejoining us. And I, I had a great time this week. Is there anything else you want to say about uh, Die Hard 2 in general? Is there anything that you have uh, that, that maybe you didn't get a chance to say in all of the episodes you've been in? <laughs> no, I just it, I re, OK, I can and I, I try to remember back. I don't think I said this, but when I saw Die Hard 2 originally in the theater, I saw Die Hard 1 in the theater, fell in love with it, became one of my all time favorite movies. It's a movie I watch every Christmas. We talked about that when you did that season. When Die Hard 2 came out, for some reason, I was let down in the theater on my first watching. I remember being, you know, the rug pulled out from under me a couple of times, as we've talked about in this one past in this week we've just gone through. But I remember saying, oh, it's not as good as the first one. And I felt let down because I think I had such high expectations because I didn't know what to expect in the first movie. And I was completely taken off guard. I just was blown away as the movie just continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was just sucked into it. And I think I walked into Die Hard 2 in the movie theater going, it's going to need to be at least as big. And I didn't give it. I didn't give it its due in the movie theater. Plus, I was a lot, a lot younger. And on subsequent rewatchings, I have really, as I said earlier, I've really come to enjoy what Rennie Harlan did to try to make this a diehard movie with a completely different backdrop setting, um, a different premise for the background. Um, you know, the, the, I, I like it a lot more now than when I first saw it. And it's one of those things that's not because it was bad. I think I just put unrealistic expectations the first time I watched it. Right. That, that's one of the problems with, you know, with with a lot of movies that if you don't see them at the right time, there's just too much hype for them. Like I have, I have a friend that it took him, I think, at least 10 years, if not more, to finally see Shawshank because he said that it'll never live up to the expectations that everyone had you know, had given of it. Mm -hmm. And then when he saw it, he, he wasn't overwhelmed by it because he had such high expectations that he wasn't able to even reach that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem, you know, which is why we all try to go into movies without expectations, whether they're good or bad, but sometimes you don't have, you don't have control over that. You just can right. feel that, okay, is this gonna, you know, this is a sequel to this movie. Like uh, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, the, the, the dial of destiny, you know, which which came out just a few months ago. I know that you and I talked about this. You know, I, I went to see it and I was really hoping that they would get back to what they had in the first trilogy of 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 the Indiana Jones. And the first twenty minutes it seemed as if they were on that that that, that track and it was great. And then they just lost it. And then, you know, all that the all the hype that I built up in me hoping that they would get to there made it even more disappointing because they didn't, mm -hmm. you know, that type of thing. You know, and that's why I think as a general commentary on films today, especially with the prevalence of seeing so much on social media and they push so much marketing. I try, if there's a film that catches my interest, I actually don't go look for trailers. I try to not read articles. I don't want to know what anyone's, thought about it from a pre-screening or, or what they're hearing on Hollywood insiders, because I've had too many movies that my first watching wasn't nearly as good as it could have been because I had unrealistic or, or, or expectations set for me that were not close to what I would have gotten had I just gone to see the movie. Correct. And it's taken sometimes movies for me because I'll recognize a well-made movie, even if I wasn't 
impacted by it. If I walk out going, well, it was all right. I'll realize, okay, that was a well-made movie. I'm going to go back and watch it again after I've given it some time. And more often than not, those movies end up being much better the second and third watchings. And it's only because I allowed outside forces to manipulate how I was going to approach the first time watch. Right. I agree. I mean, I'm also someone who tries to avoid watching trailers. If I watch a trailer to a movie, it'll be like months beforehand, you know, so that, that by the time I see the movie, I will have forgotten some of the, you know, little aspects of it. I know that a few weeks ago, my wife was interested in seeing a certain movie uh, at home, not even, and she wanted to watch the trailer first. So we watched the trailer. And then when we watched the movie, there was something that they told us in the trailer that you only find out at half, half an hour through the movie. And I was like, I can't believe they ruined this. It would have been so much more enjoyable to find this out as the story moved along instead of, you know, the three minute trailer already telling us uh, this, this particular tidbit. So I, I try to avoid it. You know, sometimes yeah, it I, works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> and I get you've got people behind the scenes that say, well, we've got to tease the audience. We need them to all show up. We want to get them excited. And there's a fine line between getting you excited and giving you just enough to whet your appetite versus screwing up the movie or giving away all the all the comedic bits. Comedies are the worst for that. They they try to show you all the funniest things in the trailer, and you go see the movie and go, I, I already saw all the funniest bits of this movie. Nothing else is as funny as in the trailer. Why'd you do that? And that's, that's because right. they knew except, you to get you. Except you get, to see them, you get to see them in the movie in context. That's the only difference. You know, well, yeah. It might be a little bit funnier because they're in context as opposed to out of context, but you know, it still doesn't you, – but you're right. Most of the best jokes they, they use in the trailers. And I, just, I, I've never understood that. I'll, I'll just say, as as my piece of advice for movie watchers, especially people who listen to podcasts like this where we're breaking movies down, don't go reading and don't go watching everything ahead of time. It, it, you'll get a much better trust yourself to be told the story. It's, it's like the Christopher Nolan uh, view of I want my audience to have to think about what they're watching. I, I trust my audience to be smart enough to figure things out. I want them to come and have an experience. I don't want them to know everything when they walk in the front door. That's the whole point of sitting down to a movie going, okay, what am I about to experience? What am I about to see? And I so much appreciate movies now when I don't know anything about them besides maybe a rough idea of what maybe genre they fit in or maybe who's in it, but it makes it such a more, so much more of an, uh, an enjoyable experience on a first time watch. I completely agree with you on that. All right. Well, Alan, once again, thank you very much for joining me this week and uh, a week, many, many months ago. Uh, I, I always I always have fun talking to you. Hopefully uh, all the listeners enjoy our side conversations along the way also and have garnered some type of, uh, you know, fun information and tidbits about uh, about this movie. So thank you again for, for joining me. Well, as always, thank you for inviting me. I'm always uh, I'm always ready to talk about movies with you anytime and and all the other stuff we end up talking about along the That's way. Right. Um, but I, you know, anytime you need uh, whatever seasons you've got, I know you've got already the a Christmas themed one coming up. So I'm really looking forward to being part of that and whatever else you need, buddy, because um, I love talking movies. All right. I appreciate that. So we want to once again tell people uh, where they can find Alan Sanders. All right, if you like doing the movie breakdown like what we do here with the uh, the Movie Rob Minute, well, you can go find The Wilder Ride. Uh, my buddy Walt Murray and I did Gene Wilder movies. We did two of them. We did uh, Young Frankenstein, and then we did G Blazing Saddles, seasons one and two. And then when the whole world caught the, caught the flu, we had to back off and change our format, so we ended up doing more of a talk show via Zoom. 
Uh, still pretty relevant. Still got some cool guests and some pretty funny moments in there. Well worth checking out. And then if you like more of the news talk of the day, I do a political podcast. It's a daily show. Uh, it's through my uh, headquarters uh, radio-affiliated station, uh, WSB in Atlanta, but it goes on every podcatcher, and it's The Alan Sanders Show. Everything is available at your podcatcher of choice. All right, great. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. And you can find me on my website, movearoundminute.com. So I will be back on Monday with a new guest. But until then, have a great weekend and yippee-ki-yay! Yippee-ki-yay! If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air Quaint little villages here